Thanks for listening to the City Collective Podcast. We hope that this message from Pastor Jason Charles and the City Collective team challenges and inspires you. Enjoy. I'm going to be reading Acts 2, verse 36 to 39. Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? Peter replied, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ and the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off and all whom the Lord our God will call. Acts 2, 42-47 They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Hey, good morning, everybody. Hey, when Pastor Jason asked me to do this message and introduce our st- series on the book of Acts, the first thing I did was I sat down and, and I read the book through a couple times. I really wanted to just listen to the book before I read any commentaries or got anybody else's opinions. I just really wanted to read through the book a couple of times. And throughout the series, can I encourage you to do that? Well, why don't we all make Acts our book of the month for July and read it once or read it a couple of times, whatever you got time for. It's not chewy theology like Romans. I think you'll find it a pretty good read because it's really a story. It's a story of what the early Christians did to uh, share the good news about Jesus, where they went, and what they did. But when you read it, don't just think of it as, as this story about what God did once upon a time. Because the kinds of things you're going to see in the book of Acts are the kinds of things that God's still doing and wants to keep doing in his world through us. I mean, in some ways, it's right to read the book of Acts as our story, and we are the continuation of the book of Acts. I mean, we're, there's 28 chapters in the book of Acts. We're, we're living now into chapter like 994,564,392,111, right? Or whatever chapter we're in. It's our story too. So let's uh, learn from it and let's grow into it. Okay, so there's three things that I really noticed in the book of Acts that I think shape the narrative. They come up over and over again and they're relevant today and I think they really speak to our life. They speak to my life. I know that. And the first one's this. When you read the book of La- book of Acts, you realize there's one message preached and told and taught over and over and over again. No matter who's teaching in the book of Acts, whether it's Peter, like in our text today, or Paul, or Stephen, or any of the other voices and preachers in the book of Acts, they preach one thing. And it's this, that Jesus of Nazareth is not just a teacher. He's not just a rabbi from some little town. He was the Messiah of God. And the ultimate proof of this was his death and resurrection. That's totally what the message is over and over again. It's all they preach. Check it out. Now, some people believed it. 
In the text we read today, in Acts chapter 2, it says in verse 41 that 3,000 people believed, repented, and were baptized. A lot of people believed it. But not everybody who hears the message believes it. Watch for that in the book a little later on in chapter 17. Paul's teaching in Athens, and he's teaching to a crowd of uh, philosophers, very sophisticated group. And they're all listening to him, and they're all interested and leaning in as he teaches about many, many things. And when he gets to the resurrection, it says in verse 32, some of them sneered. They scoffed. They were offended that Paul would expect them to believe that a human being could come back to life. It offended them, just like it offends some people today. And you have to admit, sometimes the resurrection's a little hard to believe. If it happened, it would be a miracle, wouldn't it? And a lot of people have trouble with miracles, maybe even particularly today in our Western, very scientific, very rational world. We have trouble with miracles and maybe especially with the resurrection. But the people that heard Peter that day, 3,000 of them, they believed it. And don't miss this. Peter was preaching in Acts chapter 2. He's preaching in Jerusalem, the very city where 50 days before Christ was put to death. And three days after that, he came back to life. It would have been easy for them to drag Peter and say, this message is garbage, here's his tomb, and here's where Jesus is laid. But they didn't because they couldn't. Jesus was raised to life. This is the cornerstone message of the book of Acts and fundamentally of Christianity, that Jesus was the Messiah and the resurrection from the dead is the ultimate proof of that. Well, that's the clear message. You just see it over and over in the New Testament and, and, and in the book of Acts, I should say. Now, here's a pretty intense question. When you're sharing your faith or talking to somebody about what you believe, do you ever feel a little bit uncomfortable when it comes to the resurrection? I mean, it's easier to talk about how Jesus loves the children and cares for the poor. I mean, those kinds of messages go down real easy. But then when we get to the point like, I believe in Jesus because he was raised again from the dead, Sometimes that's a little tough. Sometimes, and then we say on the basis of that, that Jesus is the only way to be reconciled to God because that's what Jesus said. And it sounds so narrow-minded in our culture, right? And maybe you've had these conversations, I know I have, where people go, hey, don't other religious teachers say love one another and you know, care for the weak? And, and they do. And whenever another voice says that, they're speaking the truth and they're correct. But the cornerstone of Christianity, the unique claim of Christianity and the book of Acts is this, that only one person has died and been raised to life again, and that's Jesus the Christ. That's the central message that we see over and over again. It's the authority to believe everything else Jesus taught and everything else Jesus did. And we really need to come to grips with this. You know, Paul, the apostle who is so instrumental in the second half of the book of Acts, he wrote in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, he just bluntly nailed it. He said, look, if Jesus isn't raised from the dead, Give it up. He said, preaching's useless and faith is futile. If Jesus is raised from the dead, that means everything. And if he's not, you can just pack it up and do whatever you want. This is a central question. The book of Acts understood it. The early church understood it. And that's what we're talking about today. So pay attention to that when you read the book of Acts. And then ask me this question, or answer this question. Do you believe it? Man, it's fair to be skeptical. It's fair to have questions. Again, this is, this is a miracle. I know I've had questions. I know lots of people have had questions. 
I encourage you to look into it. You don't need to fear the questions if they're honest and you really want to know the truth. I want to share a couple resources that have meant a lot to me. Maybe they can help you. Uh, one of them is a book called Mere Christianity. I read it years and years ago, and i got to tell you, in my almost 50 years of following Jesus, I've reread that book more than any other book except the Bible. Mere Christianity by C.S. Lewis. It just it shaped my thinking. It makes so much sense to me, and it really bolsters my faith about the resurrection and about many things. And if you're looking for a more current book, uh, a lot of you know this book by uh, a man named Lee Strobel. It's called The Case for Christ. So the story with Lee is interesting. He was a lawyer trained at Yale, smart guy. He was the legal editor at the Chicago Tribune, real hard-headed, rational guy. And then his wife becomes a Christian. And so he sets out to disprove Christianity because this isn't going down good that his wife is now a Christ follower. Well, you can read in the book yourself. Instead of disproving, Lee Strobel becomes a Christian and then writes this book and provides ample support for not just believing in the resurrection, but the whole life and teaching of Jesus. So check those out. And once again, uh, you know, you're welcome at City Collective. If you've got questions, if you're skeptical, man, honest questions, these are good things. Augustine said faith seeks understanding. And part of that seeking is asking questions. So it's a good question. Let's find the answer. But be really clear, the early Christians believed and preached and died for this truth that Jesus the Messiah was crucified for our sins, was dead, buried, and raised to life by God. That's the message of the book of Acts. So check it out in these next weeks as we study it. Here's the second thought for us to ponder as we live into the book of Acts. This new message has created a new community, a new community in Jesus, the kingdom of God. Now, when you read the book of Acts, I think you'll find it striking, I did, how little of the North American individualism you see in there. There's very little like, hey, this is what I believe, it's private, it's personal. Man, it's so collective. Even in the text we read today, watch those words again. It says, all and everyone and, and anyone who had a need, and they ate together, and they studied together. You know, I mean, there's all these collective words over and over again, and this is the tone of the book of Acts. There's, there's, there's personalities, but there's not individualism. It is a new community. Now, it is really difficult to build a community that's just and equal, where everyone's welcome and treated the same or treated fairly. Uh, boy, we see that today, right? And it wasn't easy back then either. So as you move through Acts, watch how they dealt with it. I think you'll see that this new community, this new kingdom, dealt with the issues of racism, dealt with the issues of sexism, dealt with the issues of political power, of economic gap. All those issues were dealt with. And over and over again, this new community chose unity over division. Unity over division. It says in verse 47 in the text we read today, that as they lived this way, they grew. Because who wouldn't want to be part of a community like that? And they grew in favor with everyone. That kind of society is irresistible. Almost. Because <laughs> when you go further into the book, you see that there was opposition that rose up. And the opposition came from the same place that opposition for change comes from today. The people that hold power and privilege... You know, and as a white male in North America, I'm part of that group, okay? But for people that hold power and privilege, they tend to hang on to it until the last possible moment. We very rarely voluntarily give that up. But they did in the early church. 
And that's the kind of kingdom it was. Hey, here's, here's, can I name three things? The three characteristics of the kingdom that you see in the book of Acts. The first thing is this. Citizenship is open to everyone. We read that in our text today too, right? The call is for all who will come to him. All who the Lord God calls are welcome. There's one kingdom. There's one route to citizenship. You, you, in effect, you pledge allegiance to King Jesus and say, you're the ruler and I submit to your authority. That's how you become a member of the kingdom. And it doesn't matter your background. It doesn't matter your economics. It doesn't matter your gender. All are welcome in this new kingdom. The second thing, uh, oh, I just wanted to say that um, I should have said a little bit more here because, you know, the, the central distinction and struggle in, in the early days of the church was can Jews and Gentiles coexist in this new kingdom? Gentiles is just sort of an umbrella term for everybody who's not Jewish. And of course, the Hebrew faith was very, very um, connected to Jewishness. You could join. There was a whole process called proselyte. Uh, baptism and he became a Jew that way but it was very very protected and so Gentiles some rabbis taught this Gentiles are fuel for the fires of hell I mean that's what they thought about Gentiles so you had this huge gap between Jews and Gentiles and so the central question of the early churches as as Jews and Gentiles started to experience the truth about God and Christ they wanted to join this new kingdom and then have these huge disagreements about whether Jews and Gentiles could equally join, be equally welcome, and stand on equal footing. And you can read it for yourself. They had disagreements, honest disagreements. They had debates. They had a huge council in Jerusalem in chapter 15. And what they came down to every time was anyone who puts their faith in Jesus Christ is a citizen of this new kingdom. We're not going to distinguish on racial boundaries, gender boundaries, or any other way. Isn't that awesome? But look for it. That's the new church and the new message of the new kingdom. Uh, they responded to economic gaps. They had huge economic gaps in their culture. Man, you know, we see this economic gap growing in our Western world, and it's a big issue. Well, watch how, how the early church dealt with it. There's a story in chapter 6 where uh, there's an economic problem, but it's also tied to a racial problem. The Hellenistic widows, because if you're a widow in that culture, you were really uh, forced into poverty. And actually, a lot of single moms and uh, are forced into poverty in our culture too. But to get back to the story in um, chapter 6, uh, these Greek widows were not being traded the same as the Hebrew widows. And so the early church did an interesting thing. They listened to the grievance, and then they made a plan. And what they did was they appointed some overseers to make things fair and care for everyone. And it's very interesting. If you read the names of the overseers that were chosen in the book of Acts chapter 6, there's a lot of Greek names in there. So are you following the implications of this? So here's how they dealt with it. When there was a grievance, when there was an injustice, they made space for members from the uh, disadvantaged, disenfranchised community to come to the table, to have a voice, to have authority, to own the solution. It wasn't just the rulers who said, here's what we'll do for you. They welcomed them in and together they built this new community. Man, I think there's so much there for us to learn about what it means to build a just and fair and equitable community. And in Christ, that's what we're called to do. New citizenship. Uh, there was laws in this kingdom, but only two. Love God with all your heart, soul, and mind. Love your neighbors yourself. 
There's a value system in this new community, and we've just been talking about it at City Collective as we studied the Beatitudes. These are the core values. This is our charter of, of values for this new kingdom, that we'd be merciful, that we'd be peacemakers, that we'd be pure in heart, that we'd suffer persecution without reacting. Uh, check back on those series or read it again in Matthew chapter 5. These are the values of this new kingdom. Now, I've heard it said, in fact, I've even heard it preached, that the kingdom of God is far off and, and we won't know it until Christ returns. I don't think that's what the Bible says. I don't think that's what Jesus meant. I mean, why else would he teach us to pray, your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven? No, no, that kingdom came with Jesus Christ. Now, we won't know it fully till he comes again, but get, Jesus established a beachhead, a landing zone for this new kingdom. And those of us who are in Christ belong to this kingdom. We're citizens of this kingdom. And he didn't just want us to protect the beachhead. He didn't just want us to, to defend the beachhead. He wanted us to move from that beachhead into the world and extend that kingdom of truth and grace and justice as far as we possibly could until he comes back and completes the work. That's what kingdom's about. And that's what the book of Acts is about as we start to see those early Christians extend that kingdom. Now, if we're going to do that, we're going to need something. We're going to need a new power. That's a huge task to extend the kingdom of God into this world. The good news is that's the third thing that's new in the, in the book of Acts. And that there's, there's a new power that comes on uh, the followers. The Holy Spirit falls on the followers of Pentecost and has remained with the Church of Jesus Christ to empower us. But, but it's fascinating to, to see the impact of the Holy Spirit in the book of Acts. It, it's dominant. The dominant player in the book of Acts is not Peter or Paul. It's the Holy Spirit. Over and over again. Nobody in the book of Acts speaks until the Spirit tells them to. They, they be quiet when the Spirit tells them to. They go here when the Spirit tells them to. They don't go there because the Spirit told them to. Watch over and over again. 96 times the Holy Spirit's referred to in the New Testament, and 42 times it's in the book of Acts. The book is about the Holy Spirit empowering and guiding the people of God to build His kingdom. That's what it's about. And so if we're going to be part of this, if we're going to follow Jesus, we need to know this new power. It really made a deep impression on me. I mean, I've read about the Holy Spirit and it just hit me all fresh again when I read the book of Acts. And, and, and pay attention to it when you read the book of Acts in these coming weeks. The impact of the Holy Spirit. And I started to think, how can I live like those early Christians, guided by the Holy Spirit and empowered by the Holy Spirit? And I started thinking about how can all of us at City Collective live like that? Well, I got an idea. I got a plan, but first I want to tell you a story, okay? And then I'll give you the plan, and then there's a project, and then we're going to wrap up. So here's the story. So I grew up going to Sunday school and going to church a lot, and, and I'm grateful for that. I learned a lot. I was blessed by it. I'm really grateful. I really like going to church, actually, most of the time. But there were a few less than enjoyable moments, and one of them was when I was a little boy, I remember vividly a Sunday school class where our Sunday school teacher was telling us the story of another little boy lived long, long ago in the Old Testament times, and his name was Samuel. Now, Samuel's mother, who had been praying for a baby, and, and, and in her prayer, she said to God at one point, if you would give me a baby, I would give that baby back to you to serve in the temple. Well, God did bless her with a son. 
he was born. And when Samuel is about three or four years old, his mom takes him to the temple and leaves him there forever. Now, I want to give my Sunday school teacher the benefit of the doubt that she thought this was going to be a really interesting or inspiring story, but I thought it was horrible. I mean, I, I, I can't remember for sure, but I just sort of picture us little kids sitting around listening to the story with like our jaws on the ground and our eyes like this, you know. I mean, maybe that's why I didn't want to go to church for a while, right? And when I went to church, I kind of kept my eye on my mom, like, was she leaving? I mean, what a crazy story. But I tell it for a reason, because uh, Samuel, if you go on and read it, when you get past the shock, you realize that Samuel had to learn a very important lesson. He was there to learn how to become a priest, and he did learn that. But the more important lesson was he learned how to hear the voice of God. In chapter 3, it says he's sleeping in the temple, which is another scary experience for a young kid to think about. But he's sleeping in the temple and he hears a voice. And he gets up and he runs to the priest and he says, here I am. And Eli says, I didn't call you, go back to sleep. Well, that happens two more times. You see, because it says in verse 7, Samuel had not learned to identify the voice of God. And so he went running off to Eli. And after three times, Eli, the wiser priest, said, I think God is calling you. So the next time the voice calls, say this, speak for I am listening. And that's the, that's the payoff line, folks. Let's live in the next month with that attitude. Speak, Lord, for I'm listening. Because I think the Holy Spirit wants to speak to us, wants to guide us just as much as he did in the book of Acts. But we need a plan. We need to train ourselves how to do it. So I'm going to do four things, and I invite you to be part of this. First of all, I'm going to try to be a little bit quieter. I'm going to try to be a little bit quieter in terms of audible noise. Like instead of always having music on or always having podcasts on, I'm going to try to have some silence sometime. Because I think in all that noise, I can drown out the voice of God. And I'm going to try to be quieter in terms of my inner life, the racing mind and, and all the things I think about. I'm going to try to carve out at least a little bit of space for God so that I can listen. So that's the first thing I'm going to try to do, and I encourage you to do it. Let's be a little bit quieter. Then the second thing is I'm going to borrow Samuel's phrase, and I'm going to pray first thing in the morning. I have a habit of praying in the morning. I, I pray all day long, but I'm going to pray in the morning for sure. God, today would you speak? Because I'm going to try to listen. Speak for I'm listening. Have that attitude through the day and be going, Lord, speak. Lord, speak. That's a prayer you can just repeat. A little breath prayer, wherever you go, Lord speak, I'm listening. Lord speak, I'm listening. The third thing I'm going to do is I want to then pay attention to the things that cross my path and be alert to the possibility they may not be coincidences. They might be, but maybe that's the Lord putting that person in front of me. Maybe that's, that, that's the Holy Spirit who's drawing my attention to that person or that situation or makes me listen to that comment. I want to be alert to that and say, Lord, is that you? Are you speaking to me? So I'm going to try to pay attention to all those things aware that the Holy Spirit could be speaking to me in the midst of that. And then the fourth thing, and this is a hard thing for me to say, is I'm going to, at the end of the day, create a Holy Spirit listening journal. Now, it's hard for me because I hate journaling. I've tried it multiple times in my life. I don't know how many journals I've bought and written a little bit in, and you know, 
I'm just a horrible journaler, but I'm going to try it again because <laughs> I want to create some space at the end of the day and go, where did I think God spoke to me? Because I'm pretty sure I'm going to mishear a few things because I paid attention to a lot of voices in my life. Maybe you have too. So it's going to take me a little while to hone in what's really from God and what is it, but I want to write it down. The Lord spoke to me today about so-and-so. The Lord spoke to me today about this thing in my life. The Lord spoke to me today about this need in the world. And I want to write it down and pay attention because this is how the Lord's going to shape me and use me to build his kingdom. Okay, so here's the project. Join me in this Holy Spirit listening journal. I shared it with Pastor Jason. He's fired up. So Pastor Jason, are you in? Let's do it. During the time when we're studying the book of Acts, let's try to be Holy Spirit led and listening people, just like we read about in the book. And I really believe God can use it to change me, to change you, to change our church, and use us to change the world. Hey, I'm going to offer a prayer right now, and uh, there's going to be a little space in there for listening. Don't worry, I haven't frozen, and your computer's not frozen. That's going to be a little space for you to even listen at the end of this sermon, okay? God in heaven, thank you for loving us. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you that he died for our sins, for my sins. Thank you that you raised him to new life. I believe it. I put my faith in that. I trust in that. And because of his resurrection, my life can be changed. So I ask you through your Holy Spirit to come and guide me and guide all of us at City Collective in these next few weeks as we study the book of Acts. Help us to listen to you and we're going to begin right now, Lord, that you might speak to us about whatever this message has been about in each one of our hearts. So speak now, God. We're going to create some silence. Speak now, because we want to listen. God, give us the courage and the strength through the power of your Holy Spirit to hear, obey, and live these things you've called us to do. We thank you so much for Jesus, the Messiah. We thank you, God, that you raised him from the dead, and we thank you for the gift of the Holy Spirit who gives us strength to live each day. Amen. Thanks for listening to the City Collective Podcast. We hope you enjoyed that message. Please subscribe to stay up to date with every weekly message. For more information on City Collective, please visit www.citycollective.com. Or, if you're in the greater Vancouver area, come visit us for Sunday. You can find more about our church and how you can get involved with what God is doing in the Lower Mainland. Have a great day.